Jesus said in Matthew 28 verse 19, Go therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Welcome to Go Teach All Nations, bringing you Christ's teachings through Australian and international speakers. And here is today's presenter, Pastor Abel Yorgolescu. It is a privilege and a great joy to be with you today. As you've heard, my name is Abel. And before I share with you the message that God has laid on my heart, I'd like to to pray a prayer for you as a church that you may continue to be a light in this community, that you will fulfill God's purpose for you in this community. So is it okay if we bow our heads and we uplift Lismore Church before God? Loving Father, we wanna praise you this morning on a Sabbath day for the light that you have brought into the Lismore community. We wanna thank you for this church, for the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I wanna thank you, Lord, you called us out of darkness into your marvelous light that we may proclaim your goodness to those around us. Lord, I'd like to pray for Pastor Tim that you will continue to, to bless him, to give him the courage, the wisdom, and the strength he needs to lead this church. Bless him as a, fa- as a father and as a husband. And Lord, for us as a church here, I ask that we will remain committed to you. We will continue to have a daily relationship with you. And others will come into your kingdom as a result of the ministry of those that are part of the Lismore Church. Bless the young children. Bless the, those that are not so young anymore and everyone else in between. And may he grant us the joy of spending eternity with you in heaven. We pray these things in your name. Amen. When I usually hear about Lismore Church, I I always hear about wonderful things. And we as a conference, we have four major goals that we are focusing throughout our entire territory. And these four major goals are growing spiritually, proclaiming the gospel, making disciples, and serving humanity. And when I think of these four things, I think of the example of Jesus Christ. I believe he embodied all of these four aspects of ministry. But the other thing that comes to mind is Lismore Church. Every time I hear about Lismore Church, I hear about one of these things about growing spiritually and making disciples and proclaiming the gospel and serving humanity. And uh, what I'm saying is that God is already doing something amazing here and may continue to do the same thing in the future. Amen? While we're waiting, I've got a little story that I want to share with you. It's not necessarily a happy story, but it's a true story that I believe we, we need to listen and uh, probably understand a couple of things. Maybe I should get this thing uh, going. We're good to go. Now, in the 1950s, there was a four-year-old girl um, that was kidnapped from her backyard in Colombia, South America. She has only a very sketchy memory of what happened, but this is what she remembers. That a sweaty arm grabbed her from behind while she was still playing in the backyard. That a hoodie was placed on her head and there was a smell that put her to sleep. The next thing she saw when she woke up was the dense jungle of Colombia. She had cuts and bruises all over her body because she was dragged through that jungle. After the kidnapper abused and hurt her, he tied her hands behind her back and abandoned her in the middle of the jungle of Colombia. Just imagine this little girl, only four years old. The first thing that she did as she was there, she started to cry for mommy. And she was crying, mommy, mommy, with her hands tied behind her back, and unfortunately no one could come to the rescue because no one one knew where she was. 
Her first night in the jungle, all by herself with her hands tied behind her back, was probably the worst night in her life. With all the jungle sounds in the background, and no birds and other creatures. She managed to pull through that night, and in the morning she managed to, to set herself free from that rope that kept her hands tied at the back. And she continued to cry for help, didn't know what she was going to do, but no one came to her rescue. Interestingly enough, on the third day, a troop of monkeys came to her. And these monkeys, they started to throw things at her. They were throwing nuts and they were throwing fruit and, you know, they started to tease her for a while, but then the monkeys gave up on her and the monkeys went away. But this little girl used the fruit and the nuts to feed herself. And not only that, she actually started to follow the monkeys. Basically, monkey see, monkey do. And uh, three days turned into weeks, and weeks turned into months, and months turned into years. For five years, this girl survived in the jungle all by herself. She eventually was rescued. And her story is published in a book entitled The Girl With No Name by Marina Chapman. The incredible true story of a child raised by monkeys. What's interesting is that as she was going through the jungle with the monkeys, she would copy behaviors from the monkeys so she could survive. When it rained, she learned from the monkeys that you need to grab one of those big leaves and collect water and drink from water. Try to eat what the monkeys were eating. You know, monkey see, monkey do. But one day during these five years when she was in the jungle, she was up in a tree because that's where monkeys hang around. And as she was looking down on the ground, she saw something shining. And that really caught her curiosity. So she climbed down from the tree, went and, and grabbed it. And as she looked at that shiny thing, she saw eyes looking back at her. She freaked out, dropped the object, climbed up the tree, and she saw that the object didn't move. So she went back and grabbed it, realizing that it was, in fact, what was it? A mirror. I'd like to believe that probably all these girls love a mirror, you know? She was a mirror. So the eyes that were looking at her were, in fact, her own eyes. But what was interesting is, as she was looking at the mirror, she realized that she wasn't a monkey. She said, I don't know what I am, but I know for sure what I am not. I am not a monkey. She writes in the book that with the mirror came the awareness of her identity. And from that moment on, from her encounter with the mirror, she started to look for something else, saying that I don't belong here. Because with the mirror, came the awareness of her identity. Not long after that, not long after she found the mirror, she saw a group of hunters in the, in the jungle whom she approached, and she eventually she was rescued. Today she lives in England, she has grandchildren, and interestingly enough, she's still climbing trees. But what I find fascinating is this. We all live in a jungle, and a lot of people follow this idea of monkey see, Monkey do. If the majority of people live like this, well, that means I can live like that too. If the majority of people talk like this, well, I can talk like that too. If the majority of people have embraced these principles, well, then I can embrace them as well. 
because it's monkey see, monkey do. But what's interesting is that when we look in the mirror, in the word of God, when we look in the word of God, what happens? We become aware of our identity, that we are not meant to copy the behavior of this world, but rather with the mirror comes the awareness that God has a greater purpose, God has a greater plan, God has a grand design for your life. With the mirror comes the awareness of God's plan for you. So this morning, I want to talk about this topic. To discover the identity that you have in Jesus Christ. Because while we are waiting for Jesus to return, we need to live out our identity in Him. We need to live out our calling. And in order to discover our true identity as it is presented in the Bible, I think we need to understand what, in fact, happened at the cross. And I want to ask you, uh, a question. I'm hoping I can get a bit of a communication from you this morning. And I, I know we are not allowed to sing, but we're allowed to talk in the church. So uh, can someone tell me, and probably I'll get multiple ideas, what took place at the cross? You know, because you know, there are many things that took place at the cross. Can someone help me? What took place at the cross? Amen. The shedding of blood of Jesus Christ, the Lord and Savior for the forgiveness of sins. That's right. An act of love. Other ideas. Sacrifice, the ultimate sacrifice. God's character revealed. Yes. Sorry? The curtain, yeah, it was torn in two from top to bottom. Can I ask you, what happened to the devil at the cross? He was defeated. Would you agree with me that he was defeated? Isn't that what the Bible says, that the devil was defeated at the cross? Well, my question for all of us this morning is this. If Satan was defeated at the cross, and we believe that, and the Bible testifies about it, why is he still around? Tempting? Why is he still around inducing pain and hurt and sickness and death? If, devil, if the devil was defeated 2,000 years ago at the cross, and we have no question about it, but the question is, is, why is he still around? And not only around, but why is he still in action? Don't you think that's a fair question? Because when we learn to answer this question, we understand our identity and the things, that God had, the, the things that God tried to build back into our lives. That while we are waiting for Him to return, we live out our purpose for Him. So we're going to go on these two different journeys, but hopefully we're going to meet them. One journey is understanding if Satan was defeated at the cross, why is he still around, tempting and hurting and inducing pain? But while we're searching that answer, we discover our identity as God had intended from the very beginning. So we're going to begin our journey in Revelation chapter 12, verses 7 to 8. Uh, some of the passages I'll be summarizing because time won't allow us to, to go through all of them. But I want us to understand the way in which God deals with this major problem of sin. And how, in the manner in which He deals with this major problem of sin, we discover our identity. 
In Revelation 12, verses 7 to 8, we discover there was a war that broke out in heaven. Now, out of all these, out of all places, war started in heaven. And what's interesting, it was a war of ideas. It wasn't necessarily a war of power because had it been a war of power, Satan would have been immediately destroyed by God because there's no question about who's more powerful. But Satan brought accusations against God as to his love is not necessary, his character is not necessary to lead this, this universe. And Satan continued to bring this, these accusations before God and war started in heaven. And do you know what Revelation 12, 8 says? Sorry, I'll read 7 and 8. And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, representing Satan, the devil. And the dragon and his angels fought back. But it says here, they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. So the very first thing that God does with Satan is to cast him out of where? To cast him out of heaven. Does it cast him to earth? No, because we would have had no choice. Satan visits earth and he tempts Adam and Eve. And it was only when Adam and Eve accepted the, the forbidden fruit that Satan became the master of this world. And I want to take you through a couple of passages in the book of Job. Some of you are familiar with them. Others are going to be a refresher. In the book of Job, chapter 1, verse 6, it says this. Now there was a day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And who else was there? Satan was there. What the Bible tells us is this, that even though Satan was cast out of heaven until the cross, he still had access to heaven back and forth. And at that meeting, when representatives from different planets on fallen worlds came before God, Adam, the first created human being on this planet, should have been there to represent planet Earth. But do you know who went? Satan. Why did he go there? Because the authority that Adam had was passed on through sin to Satan. So Satan shows up in heaven, even though he was cast out of heaven. Satan shows up in heaven and says, I'm here. And you know what? Jesus asked him, God asked him, why are you here? The Lord said to Satan, from where have you come from? And Satan answered, from going to and fro on the earth and from walking. In other words, Satan said, I'm coming from earth because I'm representing earth. And God, in a way, reading between the lights, says, are you really representing earth? Are you really representing earth? It says here, the Lord said to Satan, have you considered my servant Job? There is none like him. There is none like him on the earth, a blameless and upright man who fears God and turns away from evil. What's interesting is here, is that we find out that between his casting out of heaven and the cross, Satan was still allowed to travel back and forth. Question is why? Why didn't God destroy him from the very beginning? Why didn't God destroy him from the very beginning and, and save us from this misery and pain? One of the reasons is his rebellion in heaven and his accusations in heaven against God created a number of questions in the minds of angels and unfallen worlds. Had God destroyed Satan right there on the spot, the entire universe would have been in chaos and served God out of fear rather than out of love. But at the cross, something really important happened. When Jesus was on earth, in Gospel of Luke chapter 10, verse 18, we are told this. 
Jesus said to them, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. And Jesus talking here in the Gospel of Luke, he doesn't talk about the first falling. He's anticipating the second falling of Satan, and that is at the cross. Because it was at the cross that Satan was banished from heaven forever. And he was confined to this world. And I said, this whole purpose of understanding the great controversy is understanding our identity. How is this related to our identity? Well, Christ gained something for you and for me at the cross that Adam lost in the Garden of Eden, and that is authority. Look what it says in, in uh, verse 19. Jesus says, in the context of Satan being confined to this world, he says, I give you the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions. And what's next? Authority over all the power of the enemy. And nothing shall by any means hurt you. The authority that was lost by Adam in the Garden of Eden was given to you and to me at the cross. And this is one of the very things that we don't talk enough because we have been entrusted with authority to resist the, the evil one. And not only to resist, but we've been entrusted with authority to cast him away from our communities, to cast him away from our families, to cast him away from our churches. Because Christ at the cross has given us authority so we can live a life in such a way that gives glory and honor to God. While we're waiting for Jesus, how are we meant to be living? We are meant to be living knowing that we've been given authority. That we don't need to be afraid and run away, but rather to know that we have been empowered. And what's interesting is, in this whole process, God deals with evil slowly because he desires for evil to never rise again. First of all, Satan is cast out of heaven, but he's still allowed to travel back and forth a bit. The second one, at the cross, he is completely banished from heaven, but resumed to planet Earth. The third falling that Satan will experience, do you know where it will be? When Jesus comes back and he will be thrown into the abyss for a thousand years. And the fourth falling is he'll be thrown into the lake of fire. Why is Jesus going through four steps of casting the devil out? Exactly. To allow Satan, first of all, to reveal his character, to have the time. But at the same time, the character of God is revealed. And in, in the times in between, God is using you and me to reveal before the universe the plans that he has. Look what Ellen White wrote about the event at the cross. And I think this is really important for us to understand. In Desire of Ages, Ellen White wrote, Not until the death of Christ was the character of Satan clearly revealed to the angels or to the unfallen worlds. Which means that for a period of at least 4,000 years, the angels in heaven and the unfallen worlds were in a way wondering, could Satan be right? Could God be wrong? For 4,000 years, the unfallen world had all these questions. And it was at the cross that the clarity of God's character was revealed and also the clarity of Satan's character was revealed. Archapostate had, no, had so clothed himself with deception that even holy beings had not understood his principles. They had not clearly seen the nature of his rebellion. 
She goes on the saying, the last link of sympathy between Satan and the heavenly world was broken, where? At the cross. And it is at the cross where that, that link of sympathy was broken. He was banished from heaven. He was confined to this earth. And that's why in Revelation 12, 19, it says he was thrown to the earth. It was in that context. But you know what's happening? It is at the cross that Christ not only gives us the authority, but he gives birth to someone very special. He gives birth to his church. I'm wondering, can someone tell me what are the three what are the first three words of the Bible in the book of Genesis? In the beginning, right? Now here's the other test. What are the first three words in the book of John? Gospel of John. In the beginning. So what John does, the disciple of Jesus, he writes a new beginning. He writes a new Genesis. And the way he writes it, he puts it in such a context that he uplifts the cross of Jesus Christ. On the sixth day, when Jesus was trialed before crucifixion, Pilate uttered the words, Behold the man. And this is the direct correlation to the sixth day of creation from Genesis, where God created the man, the first Adam, that brought the world into sin. But now in John 19, we having behold the man, which is the second Adam presented on the sixth day of the week, just like in Genesis. At creation, Adam was laid to sleep so God could take a rib out of his chest so he could create the woman. On the sixth day, while he was on the cross, Jesus was laid to rest. He died on the cross and his side was pierced. And blood and water came out. By doing that, he gave birth to the woman that represents the church. At creation, God said it is finished because the work was completed. And then he rested. And it is at the cross where Christ uttered, it is finished because the work of redemption was completed. And then he rested. What John does is he writes a new beginning. People failed, but because of Christ, we have a new chance, a new beginning. But what's interesting is that at the cross, when Christ gave birth to the church, there was a mission bestowed upon the church. And for this reason, Satan hated the church. I want you to read with me from Revelation 12, verse 12. Yeah, chapter 12, verse 12. And it says here, Rejoice, O heavens, and you who dwell in them. Why rejoice? Because the character of God was displayed on the cross. Satan's character was revealed on the because of the cross. And Satan was banished out of heaven for good. And that's why heaven could Rejoice. Look what it says next. But woe to the inhabitants of the, the earth. That's you and me. Woe to the inhabitants of the earth. For the devil has come down to you having great wrath because he knows he has a very short time. Why does he know he has a very short time? Because of the cross. At the cross, he realized that his end is in sight. God didn't fully destroy him, but his destruction is guaranteed. Do you understand that? While he may not, while he may not be fully destroyed, his destruction is guaranteed. And while we are not yet in heaven, our salvation is guaranteed. The Bible says we're living in a tension between the already 
and not yet. I already have something. I already have that eternal life, but it's not there yet. Satan is already defeated, but not yet until he, he comes. But what it says here is that Satan has great wrath, and that wrath is, is targeted towards, towards the church. Question is, why is the church the central point of Satan's attacks? Why the church and not any, everyone else? What was that? The character of God. I want to I take you to a passage in the book of Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. And when I read this, this passage this week, I saw it for the first time in a, in a new light, placing us as a church in the context of the great controversy. So Ephesians chapter 3, verses 8 to 10. This is the Apostle Paul writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says, To me, who am less than the least of all the saints, this grace was given. And he goes on saying that I should preach among the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. So he uses the, the word unsearchable, which means also mysteries, things that are not easily understood. Verse 9, And to make all see what is the fellowship of the mystery, which from the beginning of the ages has been hidden in God, who created all things through Jesus Christ. Verse 10, and pay attention because this is the climax. To the intent that now the manifold wisdom of God, the what? The manifold wisdom of God might be known, sorry, might be made known by the church. For whose purpose? To the principalities and powers where? In the heavenly places. So what Paul is saying is, is that after the cross, God is intending to use the church in order to reveal his character. What the Bible tells us is that what happened at the cross is that we have become a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says, The old has gone. Behold, the new has come. Sometimes we, we, we limit the cross in terms of God came on earth. He died for our sins. But at the cross, we've got so much wisdom to discover because it was at the cross where God's character was revealed, Satan was revealed, authority was given. And this is where my identity is. God wants you to live with authority over the enemy today. And God wants you to live as a new creation being part of his church. That we don't become succumbed by the, the flesh, of, uh, by the temptation of the, uh, the eyes, temptation of the flesh, or temptation of the eyes. He wants us to live with that identity. And I love it how in Ephesians, for example, chapter 2, verses 5, sorry, 4 and 5, it says, God who, in re who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we are dead in trespasses, made us alive together with him, verse 6, and raised us up together and made us sit together where? In the heavenly places. Now, where are you sitting today? Literally, you're, sick, you're sitting in a church. But as far as Paul is concerned, from a spiritual context, because of the cross, you and I are seated in the heavenly places. And this is the, the knowledge that we need to be aware. That salvation is not a maybe. 
but because of Christ, I am already seated there. That is justification by faith. That from, from my place in heaven, I look upon Satan as a defeated foe. Not someone that I should tremble and fear and run away from because in the name of Christ, he vanishes. And God wants us to live without authority and knowing. So while we are waiting for Jesus to return, how are we meant to be living our lives? As we looked and we discover our identity, we need to know that we have authority. We need to know that we are a new creation. We need to know that we are in the heavenly places. While we're waiting for Jesus to return, we need to understand our place in the great controversy. The executive members from the Houston airport encountered a challenge where people were waiting for too long to collect their luggage. Do you remember those days when you were allowed to fly and collect the luggage? Some of you are old enough to remember the days. So the executive members from the Houston airport decided to hire more personnel. They said, if we have more baggage handlers, then the baggage can be brought on the line and people can collect it easier. So from whatever time they had, they managed to bring it down to a, to a waiting time of eight minutes. Now the passengers were still, weren't happy. You know, so eight minutes is too long, too long. And said, well, we need to come up with a solution. So the executive members from the Houston airport said, well, instead of bringing more baggage handlers or making more mechanized, let's move the arrival gate from where it is and put it further away. Because from the current arrival gate, the baggage claim was only one minute. And no one complained about it, it's such a short walk. And they said, let's put it further away. And when they moved the gate further away from the baggage claim, now people had to walk longer and further. And by the time they got to the baggage claim, the baggage was waiting for them. And they were happy now. And they started to write reports to the executive members. We want to thank you for the improvement you have made in this uh, airport. And there, there was a research done. That apparently, there's a specialist in the world that looks at waiting. You know, he's apparently he's world-leading specialist at waiting. And he says, what's difficult for people is, what do you do while you're waiting? Standing and waiting for the luggage wasn't being productive. And people were annoyed with that. And they were getting cranky and said, this is not good enough. But people walking from an arrival gate that was further away to the baggage climb, they said, that's productive. I'm walking. It's healthy. I'm doing something. And they were happy. The question is, what are we meant to be doing while we're waiting for Jesus? Are we waiting for Jesus like we're waiting for a bus? Are we waiting for Jesus like we're waiting for our luggage at the airport? Are we waiting for Jesus like we're waiting for a, you know, a plane or whatever? Or we are meant to be doing something while we're waiting for Jesus. To have that element of productivity that we get the fulfillment. Let's finish by looking at this passage, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 20. This is New Living Translation and I like the way he puts it. We are Christ's ambassadors. Majority of you know the meaning of this word. An ambassador means he represents someone. And this is where the issue of authority comes into place. We've been given authority by God to cast away the evil one. 
That is the authority purchased by God for us at the cross. We are Christ's ambassadors, and I love the way it says here, God is making his appeal through, what's your name, brother? Bruce? Bruce? God is making his appeal through Bruce. What's your name? Neville? Neville? Ned. Ned. God is making his appeal through Ned. What's your name? Serenity. Serenity, there you go. God is making his appeal through serenity. What was purchased at the cross was authority and ability that the church becomes, and listen to this, God's theater of grace before the unfallen worlds. The unfallen worlds are looking upon Lismore Church to have a greater, deeper, and more meaningful understanding of who God is. And this is a great, uh, I guess, responsibility that God has bestowed upon us. That because of us, the unfallen worlds get to know God better. Can you think of that? That because of Bruce, Ned, and Serenity, the world... Unfallen world gets to know God better. And those that are here, human beings in this world, get to hear about God. 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, We speak for Christ when we plead, when we plead with the Lismore community and with the surroundings beyond, come back to God because sin has driven us away from Him. While we're waiting for Jesus, you and I are going to be very busy. We're not waiting for a bus and we're not waiting for the baggage to claim it. We're going to be busy because we are speaking for Christ when we plead with others, come back to God. And people get to know, they get a picture of who God is because of your life. So in the context of the great controversy, we have our identity revealed. That while we are waiting for Jesus Christ to return, we need to know that we've been given authority over the power of the enemy. We need to know that we are a new creation, that Satan is no longer our master. We need to know that as a church, we are God's theater of grace before the unfallen worlds. We need to know that we are already seated in heavenly places. And we need to be busy doing the work that God has called us to do because we are ambassadors for Christ. I know we are caught between the two worlds, the already and not yet. But the image that comes to mind is that of faithful woman in the Old Testament, Hannah. She was praying for a baby. She was very upset she didn't have a baby. And she couldn't eat at feast. She was upset. Her life was miserable. She went to the temple she prayed, and when she came out of there, she started to be happy, and she was eating, and she was enjoying life. Did she have a baby at that time? No. But she behaved as if she had one. And God wants us to go through life knowing that we are already seated in heavenly places, that we have this authority, that we are his ambassadors. So my appeal to you this morning is that in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, and through the power of his Holy Spirit, we will go from here leaving God's purpose for our life while we are waiting for him to return. Amen? Amen. Let's bow our heads as we finish with prayer. Father, we want to thank you today for Jesus Christ and his sacrifice on the cross. Not only sacrifice, but victory over the devil. 
Lord, I want to thank you for purchasing, purchasing our salvation. And I want to thank you that because of Christ, we can have the hope and assurance of eternal life. Lord, I pray for Lismore Church, for every single one of us, that as we go from here, we will be agents of salvation, introducing others to Jesus Christ. So Lord, please use us for the purpose of your glory. We ask these things in your name. Amen. message was made available by the Lismore Seventh-day Adventist Church. For more resources like this, visit their YouTube page, Lismore Seventh-day Adventist Church. Confused and torn, hold out 
Michael Lining with Go Light Your World. Up next, Light of the World by Call to Praise. He's built to the streets made of gold. He 
I'm Casey Butler and I want to welcome you to Healthy Living Around the World. I am on site at the Health Training School at Centre for Health in Bulgaria and today my guest is Jordan Sanchez. Welcome to the program Jordan. Thank you so much. Now Jordan you're here at a health training school obviously learning about healthy living but where are you from originally? I'm from Mexico uh, in a small city that is Pisaco in Tlaxcala. Yeah. Okay so mm. all the way from Mexico you're here in Bulgaria yeah. so how did that come about? Why did you want to come here to this school? Um, I think because uh, I decided to be missionary mm-hmm. so God opened doors okay. by different places so I was working in like like missionary in Egypt um, after I went to Lebanon this is the way that I am here yes okay so you've um, come here to learn healthy living so that you can help people when you're doing your missionary work yeah sure I <laughs> yeah I come for that good good so maybe would you like to share a little bit about what kind of things you've been learning in your training uh, okay we are learning about how to use uh, natural remedies, mm-hmm. the eight natural laws. Okay. Also, we are learning how we can find the the eight natural laws by the Bible. Also, so they're all in the Bible, all the eight natural laws. Uh, we are studying about that. Okay. We are in the third, in the air. Yes. Yeah, we didn't finish this. Okay, you're still learning. Oh, yeah. that's very interesting. So we are doing this um, now, and also. Um, for the place that we are going to serve, we are learning also uh, how to explain this to Muslim people. Mm. So this is the way that we are going to do. Okay, yeah. so how you can actually teach that to others. That's very good. Have you had much experience with actually applying these principles in your own life, these li- healthy living principles? Mm, yeah, actually, when I entered to the university, mm-hmm. I was even I was not Adventist. So I wanted to change to study, but also I wanted to have an experience with God. God uh, was helping me there. I was canvassing and I decided not to eat any more meat. And, okay. Uh, maybe another things that usually uh, not Adventists do. So for me it was a very good experience and I didn't get any sick. And until now I am maybe uh, since 2010 mm-hmm. until now it's nine years without meat right so you've been yeah all this time without eating any meat yeah and you've been fine with that i am fine with that um i'm not feeling any problem mm-hmm. so i think that i am keeping my way since mm-hmm. this moment and i am feeling good great yeah. okay that's good to hear how do you find the food uh, normally we uh, cook, trying to cook without oil or okay. normal oil. We use something like more healthy, like olive oil or mm-hmm. uh, seed scripts oil or another kind of oil okay. that is not uh, bad for our body. Mm. Also, uh, vegetables, uh, try to drink good water every day. Yes. Um, seeds, I like to eat seeds, so... That help us to maybe sometimes we need some vitamins or ah, some uh, yes. yeah complement or food that we don't have. Uh, for example, nut- n- nutrients that we have in the meat we can supply by some seeds or 
Oh, okay. So you're you're able to get all the nutrients you need just from plant sources. Yeah, for okay. sure. Yeah. Okay, good. Mm -hmm. That's excellent. So um, this is my experience, and I like it, and I, mm. I, I never mind to go back to the, to my last uh, way, food or try to yes. do it. Okay, you're happy like just before. to continue no. doing this way. Yeah, I like it, and I, um, I think God provide everything as we can change our way to, to eat and be more healthy. So. We are trying to do like before, like mm -hmm. you know, in in the then how mm -hmm. the people were eating and mm -hmm. after that, also. So, trying to avoid things that is not good for our bodies. Yes, mm -hmm. ah, that is very good. So, is there a lifestyle habit that you have or principle that you follow that is your favorite? Actually, the eight low remedies is good, mm -hmm. like to make our total reform. Okay. But and which which are those? What what are, what are the eight laws in brief? Okay, for example, uh, nutrition, temperance, air, sunlight, uh, um, trusting God. Okay. Yeah, I remember five mm -hmm. exercises. Oh yes. I'm, I'm liking the two. Mm -hmm. So um, this ones. Uh, I I like to do. I feel that it's helping us to mm. too much and to be more healthy, and that will help us to to know more even to to how to to do the correct things okay. more wise, so we can last a little bit more time for serving God, not only for to be healthy. Ah, so you can live good. longer. Um, I don't pretend to live longer. If okay. Not, I pretend to be healthy. Ah, yes. So uh -huh. I can work for God more oh. better. Good, okay. Yeah. So you notice a difference in how your health affects your ability to work for God? For, uh, of course, that, that helps us a lot. So, in special when, you know, when you are sick you mm -hmm. are, or you have any problem, you cannot serve God as 100%. So, mm. trying to keep yourself helps you to, to do better. In serving God. Mm -hmm. Wow, okay, that's good to hear. Have you noticed any difference in how living healthfully enables you to have a better relationship with God? Ah, of course. Also, you know, this is something about fidelity. Even is connected with that. Okay. Um, I I can say about Daniel, mm -hmm. first chapter, where he were called to. To stay in the kingdom of Nebuchadnezzar. Mm. Yes. So he was telling to the people who were giving him food that mm. he wanted to give another kind of food because first the food that he was receiving or they were receiving because they were uh, friends. Mm. So they were receiving food that first were given to the idols and after they okay. were putting in their plates. Yes. Mm -hmm. And you can imagine it's the food for the king. Mm. Maybe it's good food, <laughs> but he didn't saw this. Uh. He saw uh, the bath of this food because, for example, they have drinking that is not good because mm. probably the alcohol cannot help us to to be wise. Yes, yes. <laughs> um, or maybe another kind of drinking. Mm -hmm. So, for sure. What they give to the idols was not clean food, was mm. not pure as, you know, they, they were Jews. Mm. So they were trying to eat 
just as they know. Yes. As their loves has. So all of these kind of things um, help them to be to have a good relationship with God. Mm. And you know the the wisdom comes from God. Yes. So that help to to do something good, to uh-huh. to improve, to help the people, to to be more spiritual. This is very important mm-hmm. for have a connection with God. So I don't I never mind a person for example that wanted to have a good relationship with God if um, they want to have pleasure by themselves but not with God uh, for themselves uh-huh. through what they like. Yes. What they so, like to eat, for yes. example. Uh-huh. So if people do that then how yeah. can they have their own pleasure but then still yeah. have God, it doesn't really mix. Yeah, but in this case everything is complete. Not only food, you know, we need to have exercise. Because mm-hmm. it's not working. For example, you try to be healthy, but you don't do exercise. So this not help you. It's like not have a balance. Mm. For example, uh, also to, to get some vitamin D that we really need vitamin D for be yes. more healthy, not have yes. depression sometimes. So sometimes that's not healthy. We are in a close place or we don't try to expose our body to the sun. Mm. So we need to know what is the, real, uh, the good time to go outside. Mm. Um, so we cannot be affected also for the sun because sometimes we get other problems. These kind of things that help us to have a good relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're noticing that the faithfulness in these natural health laws of our bodies yeah. is helping us with our faithfulness and closeness to God. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, that's interesting. That's very good mm-hmm. where you've described that. So if there is someone, if you meet someone, for example, who is wanting to change their lifestyle um, for, you know, for better, maybe adopt mm-hmm. one of those eight laws that you mentioned, yeah. what would you say is good for them to, to think about in terms of, I don't know, a strategy or, or something that you've learned in your experience that helps them in making those changes? Okay, maybe if somebody wants to start... I just start with something that is very important. Yes. Um, can I say that I didn't read my Bible before to be Adventist? Okay. Also, I went to the university. I had at this time 23, year, 23 years old. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to know more about God when my friends or people that I start to know, they start to teach me what the Bible says. So for me, it was a very nice experience. Mm-hmm. Um, to, that start me to transform my mind, my thinking. So we can start with that, with, with your, your relationship with God. With that, you will be open for ah, accept what is good. For okay. You. Yeah. Uh-huh. So you think that um, having a, an open connection with God is mm-hmm. an important foundation for making more changes in your life in other areas. For sure, yeah. Okay. This is the... The pillar that we need ah, to establish everything. Uh-huh. And you found that in your own experience? I found it. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And was something that really, I want to say to the people that help a lot. So can I see many people that is very, very sick, people that have a lot of problems. But I think sometimes we forget God. Yes, okay. So when we start with God, Mm. Again, mm. so we can try to to see, or 
after that we transform many things. Okay. So this is uh, like the pillar that we need for change. Right. God mm -hmm. is the pillar for change. I like that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's, well, we know God is all powerful. This powerful. So yeah. that's tapping into a good source of strength <laughs> mm -hmm. for making changes. Yeah, yes. and everything is in the in the writings, in the Bible, so mm. we need to know more about why we do this, why we do that, mm -hmm. um, what is more correct. Mm -hmm. All the time we need to do this before before read the Bible, what's in God, and we can start to do something, because God wants the, the good for us, not yes. make us any problem, if not want or well. Mm, that's he so encouraging. That he wants our, our health and good mm -hmm. <laughs> well-being and happiness, doesn't he? God does. Yeah. Yes, yes, that's right. Well, very good. Thank you so much for sharing with Thank us you. your thoughts and experience today. It's been very interesting. Yeah. Thank you so much for inviting me. <laughs> You're welcome. We have been recording on location today at Centre for Health, the training school here at Centre for Health in Bulgaria. And we've been speaking with Jordan Sanchez, who's our guest today. You've been listening to Healthy Living Around the World. I'm your host, Casey Butler, and until next time, God bless. This program has been brought to you by 3ABN Australia Radio.